live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Welcome to summer. 81 degrees outside. And if you look at the long-range forecast, um, pretty much a stretch of, of great Great weather. I understand some people don't like humidity and don't like temperatures in the 80s. Sorry, we, we wait all year for this kind of weather, and I, I just, this is the time of year I love, and it looks like we're going to be doing really well between now and at least through the 4th of July. So hope you enjoy your weekend. I know a lot of people are going to be taking some time off, but uh, we do not go gently into the good 4th of July weekend. Let us get started. The theme for today's program, it's three words. Are you nuts? For example... A number of people believe that what we need to do is defund the police department. Now, some people mean when they say defund, they mean defund. They mean we, 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 the world would be better if we did not have police that were out there trying to, I don't know, uh, oppress various communities and things like that. Other people recognizing that that just sounds kooky. If you say defund the police, they're saying, well, we don't really mean defund the police. We mean let's not give them as much money. Let's cut their budget by 10% or 20% or 30%. Let's have fewer police officers on the street. That will be a good idea. Well, for everybody who thinks that's a good idea, I, I have one word, and that word would be Chicago. Do you have any idea what has been going on in Chicago? Last weekend, not not this, this past weekend, but the weekend before last, 106 people were shot in Chicago. That was Father's Day weekend. 14 of them shot fatally from mid-afternoon Friday to early Monday. Okay, that's 106 people that were shot. Now, keep in mind, on Mother's Day weekend, you had over the space of of three days, you had 24 people that were murdered and like 80-some-odd that were shot. So you've got this huge spate of violence that's going on. Last weekend in Chicago... Um, so far, and, and the totals are still increasing, Friday through Sunday, you had 12 people that were killed, including at least three children in, in separate shooting instances. A 20-month-old boy was shot in his car seat while riding with his mother. That would have been on Saturday. Also, um, on Saturday, a 10-year-old girl was struck in the head by a stray bullet that came through a second-floor apartment window a- at her home. And then also on Saturday, a 17-year-old was fatally shot before noon in his neighborhood after he became embroiled in a fight with someone in a large crowd. Okay, so th- those are those are three of the 12 deaths. And as I always say, homicide is a, is a bad indicator of violence. Because anytime somebody's shot, it, it could turn into a death. And a lot of times it 
just but for the grace of God that somebody doesn't die. But for everybody who thinks, oh, we, we need to move police out of neighborhoods, and, and the problem is we have too much of a police presence, just look at what is going on in our urban areas on a, on a every weekend basis in the summer. And, and by the way, if you think it was bad over Mother's Day, and you think it was bad in Chicago over Father's Day, and you think it was bad last weekend, can you imagine what it's going to be like this weekend for the 4th of July? I mean, and and I don't take any pleasure at all in saying that, but I just think, again, for everybody that's out there that thinks, oh, the police are an occupying force, we 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 want to we wanted to fund the police, or or you know what, we we don't want to have them equipped with riot gear, or we don't want them to have access to tear gas or things like that to disperse crowds. I mean, are you nuts? I mean, seriously, are you not paying attention to what is going on in the real world? And and part of the problem is I, I think there are some people like that, that they're just so blinded by political correctness and, oh, we, we don't want to say or do the wrong thing, that you just turn a blind eye to reality. And the reality is the carnage that is going on created by criminals and violent folks on, on a daily basis in many of our urban areas and a particularly you know over, over every weekend it just becomes a, a shooting gallery all right let's get started our number 855-616-1620 that is the acunet mortgage talk and text line the war on political correctness continues you know we've talked about it before efforts to let's tear down the ulysses s grant statute let's what was the thing in madison you've got the kooks that um, are trying to take down the Abraham Lincoln statue that sits at the top of Bascom Hill because even though Abraham Lincoln fought the Civil War to, uh, again, eradicate slavery, and even though he signed the Amer- Emancipation Proclamation, well, if you look back at his writings, you find that he, he wasn't, he was anti-slavery. What was the phrase they used? But he wasn't necessarily pro-black or something like that. So we, we've got to get rid of the, the statue honoring you know Abraham Lincoln. To which, again, I respond, are, are you nuts? Well, okay, so you, you, you see that. And, of course, you see it with the Confederate war statues that are all around. And I, I guess, I mean, I understand that. I do not understand Ulysses Grant. I do not understand going after Abraham Lincoln at, at Princeton. They're now decided they're going to cut all ties to Woodrow Wilson, who was a graduate of Princeton, because, well, you know, Woodrow Wilson, he he had some issues, and we have to take down the Teddy Roosevelt statue because he wasn't necessarily as sympathetic to Native Americans as he should have been. It's this revisionist type of thinking that goes on. The latest target is, wait for it, the Duke, John Wayne. Now, Orange County, California... Um, is an historically very, very conservative area, supported Ronald Reagan, supported Richard Nixon. John Wayne lived in, in Orange County and spent most of his life in John in Orange County once he became a movie star. And John Wayne um, is buried in Orange County. And he is arguably one of the most famous residents of Orange County. The airport... The airport in Orange County is named after him. It's called John Wayne Airport. And that that goes back to like 1979, before it was kind of like just Orange County Airport. Well, okay, John Wayne is the latest target of the, here, let, let's, let's invoke the, can, the cancel culture. Because John Wayne was, back in the 50s and the 60s, in the early 70s, John Wayne was an unabashed Republican. 
John Wayne gave interviews where he said some stuff which was arguably, well, forget arguably, it was certainly politically incorrect by today's standards and maybe even by, by the time, by, by the time. For example, he did this interview in 1971 with Playboy magazine where he said he didn't support slavery, but he said, I don't personally feel guilty about the fact that five or ten generations ago people were slaves. All right, that, that's, that's certainly insensitive, but okay, it, it, that, that's what he ended up, you know, saying. Um, he said things about how he, he didn't feel any remorse in, you know, the what happened with the expansion of the West. Um, I don't feel we did wrong in taking this great country away from Native Americans. There were great numbers of people who needed a new land, and the Native Americans were trying to keep it for themselves. Okay, th- that's kind of a dumb thing to say, I, I think, and especially it's a dumb thing to say as, as you look back and you see what happened. But, but okay, he said it. So now as part of the cancel culture, there is this effort to say, okay, we because John Wayne said controversial things in this Playboy magazine interview, uh, what we have to do is, is we cannot recognize him. So we've got to take his name after, off the airport. And like I say, it's been named that way since 1979. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I could care less whether the Orange County Airport is named Orange County Airport or the John Wayne Airport or whether they just decide to call it Fred. It doesn't make any difference to me about that. What I do think is interesting and worthy of discussion is the whole notion, again, of the cancel culture, which is where where do we stop as we go back and we try to, again, apply 2020 standards of what is acceptable and what you can say and what you can't say, and we try to apply that to people who who lived and passed away in the 1970s but lived in the early parts of the 1900s or the 1800s or the 1700s. Is the cancel culture going too far? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, if you go back and study people, not only the past but the present, you can probably find anything that someone has said or done that will not fit well with others. Let he who is without sin throw the first stone. Jeff, people are getting really tired of the politically correct narrative that's being pushed by the mainstream media. The past is the past. We learn from it. We need to get over it um let's see um jeff the john wayne stuff was known but ignored movies brought in money and jobs america wants to be great but it isn't it is a goal california better find out who paid for the john wayne airport and parks before they decide starting to pay to change names um jeff i agree i disagree with the cancel culture a few years ago the cancel culture wanted cops in schools this year they want them out in the indecisiveness cannot rule um and it and it just goes on and on jeff the ultimate goal for the cancel culture is to erase u.s history and to become a global community with the rest of the world well you you can't erase you, you can't erase u.s 
history. Um, that's the whole point that's out there. And, and that's what we have to be concerned about. And you just wonder, you know, what, what happens next? Because again, you have somebody who decides, all right, I'm offended by this, or let's, let's go back and let's look at George Washington. And yes, George Washington was the founder of the country. And, and just, yes, you know, George Washington, you know, led the army and helped, you know, really create this country in, in the battles against Great Britain. But because, well, I mean, George Washington owned slaves, which is something that people did at that time. And it doesn't make it right. It just, it, it was, it was what it was. You know, back in the 1700s. So now by 2020 standards, we have to judge George Washington as being unworthy of having a monument or Abraham Lincoln, who in his fourth presidential address, you know, said some controversial things that indicated that, you know, he he thought maybe whites were superior to blacks. Okay, all right. Again, so now we're going to judge Abraham Lincoln by this one set of remarks that he makes in 1860, whatever it was, instead of looking at the overall track record of what the man did. This idea that we're going to impose our own judgments based on 2020 standards, and we're going to try to erase history, or we're going to dishonor the accomplishments of people because, you know, we found this or that or the other thing, and we don't think it it meets our standards of acceptability by 2020 standards, and we've got to get rid of it. All right, again, I understand the Confederate statues. Do I think a Confederate flag should be flying over state houses? Of course not. But that's different than saying we, we can't have buildings named after Woodrow Wilson, or we can't have the Washington Monument, or we can't have Mount Rushmore anymore because Teddy Roosevelt had issues, and George Washington had issues, and Thomas Jefferson had issues, and uh, Abraham Lincoln had issues. I mean, at some point in time, do we have to figure out how we move on and and how we become better people? But in implementing the cancel culture to eliminate things, that's flat out not the way to do it. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. You know, we we talk a lot about bias in the mainstream media, and it's it's so prevalent that you just it's almost not worth arguing anymore. But every once in a while, you have these stories that just have me shaking my head. All right. This is story. It's um, written by Scott Bauer of the Associated Press. And Scott Bauer is a guy who's been writing for the AP for a long time. He's viewed as depending on how many Democrats they have in the state Senate, so let's say it's 1913 or 1914, he would be like the, the 15th Democrat in the state Senate. The, the, the bias, and it, this isn't necessarily a secret. So here's the story that's out today. 80% of Wisconsin Republican legislators voted absentee in April. Wisconsin Republicans who oppose making it easier for people to vote absentee have taken advantage of the opportunity to vote by mail in recent elections, with more than 80 percent of GOP members of the state legislature doing it in April. Okay, an analysis of absentee voting records provided through the Associated Press by the liberal advocacy group A Better Wisconsin Together showed a dramatic increase in absentee voting in the April presidential primary and the state Supreme Court election. And so then the, the argument is that those evil Republicans, see, they, they oppose they oppose more absentee voting, and yet they're doing it themselves, which misses completely the, the point. Look, as somebody who does vote early in person absentee, 
um, on occasion. I, I love, and I've said this before, I love going down on, on election day. I, I love the whole civic process of, of standing in line with some of your fellow, you know, with, with your fellow citizens and casting their vote. I, I love it. But at the same time, there is a convenience to voting either via the mail or early absentee. And, and this year, where everybody was saying, hey, you know, we're, we've got the resources that are stretched because of COVID-19 and all. Yeah, I mean, I, I took advantage. My wife and I took advantage and went to City Hall and we voted early absentee. Okay, the fact that Republican legislators or people might have taken advantage of the laws that allow you to vote early absentee, either by mail or in person. That doesn't mean that by saying, hey, I don't think we should open this up more, it it doesn't mean that there's some sort of a hypocrisy or there's some inconsistency. Look, I I appreciate that the state law allows you, okay, you can take advantage of early absentee voting, and the polls are open for a a certain period of time, and you go down there and you show your identification and you do it. Okay, that's fine. That's different from saying, even because you choose to do that, it's different from saying that, gee, I think it's a good idea, for example, to, I don't know, send out send out ballots to, you know, everybody and let them return it. It's different because you take advantage of early absentee voting with the restrictions and the prohibitions we have. It's different than saying, well, gee, I think it's a great idea to allow ballot harvesting. In other words, I think it's a great idea to, uh, I would, I think because I like early absentee voting, I think that we should allow operatives in the city of Milwaukee to be able to go door to door and collect the ballots from people and then turn them in all at once. Okay, I think that's a horrible idea. That doesn't mean that you think that there's something wrong with early in-person voting or absentee voting. It's the idea that, okay, yes, we're going to allow people to vote absentee, but at the same time, we need to have some restrictions on that to make sure there's some integrity to the process. And that this idea that, oh, there's this hypocrisy because Republicans don't support, let's just send out ballots to everybody and let anybody who wants collect them and then turn them in. Because you don't support that, that means that you're a hypocrite if you voted early absentee. Give me a break. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. If I have somewhere to go, I'm not going to not go there because the plane may be crowded. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, let's review the bidding on this. Ever since you had the outbreak of, of coronavirus and the ongoing pandemic, you have had people that have made major lifestyle changes. For example, you go through an airport nowadays, and by and large, it's like a ghost town. You know, before COVID-19, what you saw is you saw crowded airports and you saw crowded airplanes. That was the rule of thumb. Air travel has decreased dramatically. Matter of fact, there's a report out today. Some people are saying that 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 aspect of the travel industry might not, it might be three or four years before they're back to where they were, let's say, this time last year. Part of the problem is some people are just uncomfortable traveling, period. 
a large factor is that there's nowhere to travel to. I mean, if you you had a trip to Disney World planned, well, okay, Disney World has been closed since mid-March, and I guess the plan right now is to open it up in July. If you wanted to go out to California, well, they just closed down all the bars and a good number of the restaurants. So if you had plans that, gee, I want to going to fly to Texas to go see you know baseball stadiums or go see uh to go see baseball games or to go to a live music show, well, there, there's no live music going on. So I think. You know, even now that the airlines are, are flying and have continued to fly, there, there's not a lot of places to go or there's not a lot of things to do once you get there. So people are just making the decision not to travel. In an effort to try to win travelers back, a number of the airlines came up with various policies to try to make people feel more comfortable. And, and one of those policies was essentially we're, we're going to fly the planes at less than full capacity. And what we're going to do is, for example, we're going to block off the, the middle seats. So you, you know that you're not going to necessarily have to sit next to somebody. And that continues to be the policy at, at some of the airlines, at, at least for a while. United says, for example, that their plan is, at least through the end of July, that they're going to try to avoid, where possible, seating customers next to each other. And if there's a flight that is close to being full, they'll they'll contact the passengers and they'll give them the option to try to rebook. All right, so that's what United is doing. Delta is still blocking middle seats and is committed to capping capacity at 50 to 60%, depending on the part of the plane. They say they're going to do that through September 30th. Um, Southwest blocking about a third of the seats on its planes, and um, that says it allows for middle seats to stay open. They're going to do that until at least September 30th. So that that's the, the plan. American Airlines announced on Friday that um, they're doing away with their policy of keeping the middle seat vacant. Um, what they announced is that starting July 1st, the passengers might notice that flights are booked to capacity. And so they're, they're going to do away with let's, let's keep the middle seat open. They said they're going to continue to notify customers if it looks like a plane is going to be full or close to full and, you know, that they'll allow them to move to more open flights, change their flight at no cost if they want. But American says, hey, we're getting back to business as usual and, and we're not going to fly with, you know, empty planes to the extent that we can. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I want to take your temperature, no pun intended. If you were scheduled to, I don't know, fly to, to Dallas, you know, you were you were going to go visit your kids, in and they live in Dallas, and you're booked on American Airlines, and now you find out that, okay, well, American Airlines, when I get on that plane, it might be close to full. Right? Are you still going to go? If you find out that, gee, I, I'm going, I'm scheduled to go, I don't know, visit somebody in Orlando, and you now find that the flight isn't going to be empty, it's going to be close to full, are you going to change your plans? Are you going to not go, or are you going to simply say, okay, I, I'm, I'm ready to get back on that plane, I want to go, I'm not going to allow this concern to worry me, I'm going to put on my mask, I'm going to wear my mask on the plane for the two or three hours or whatever, and if I have to sit next to somebody to get where I'm going, I'm willing to do it. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I would... 
I would rather fly half-empty planes if I had a choice. Heck, I'd rather be one of only eight or ten people on the plane so you can spread out. I hate flying on on these full planes. At the same time, I understand what's going on in the airline industry. You have this industry that's just been financially devastated. And I guess, to me, if they've got the passengers, I understand that the idea that they might be flying with a plane that's half empty or two-thirds empty or three-quarters empty, it costs them a fortune to do it. I guess I'm at a point now where would I prefer to not fly on a full plane? Yes, of course. But if there was somewhere that I wanted to go or had to go and I had to fly American because that's what I got to do to get there, I'm going to put on the mask and I'm going to put myself in the seat. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How about you? Steve in Genesee. Steve, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, doing well? I'm... We were in Denver these last five days and uh, flew southwest nonstop. And uh, like, you were chat- like you were saying, the middle seats were blocked off. Uh, you know, the airports all had masks and... Uh, you know, I didn't see a lot of people without masks in Milwaukee and maybe a few in Denver, but, you know, everything went pretty well on Southwest. Uh, mm-hmm. They kind of changed their boarding policies, too, where they're only going to let 10 people in line and not that full 30 and 30 uh, right. group that they normally do. Right. If, if Now, Southwest says that they're, they're going to be flying at only like 60 to 70 percent capacity through September. Um, would, would you be comfortable flying on a full flight again? Yeah, I mean, you know, you, there's not a not a real delta in social distancing once you're on that airplane, you know, whether there's an empty seat between you or someone's next to you, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I think, see, thanks. I guess, I guess that's that's kind of where I am. Now, just, again, as a, as a matter of preference, do I like to be able to spread out a little bit? And, and would I like to not have somebody in that middle seat next to me? Of course. I mean, so I understand that. At the same time, I also get the business model that the airlines are, are grappling with here. And at, at some point in time, if you're traveling, you're, you're going to be interacting with people. That's why, I mean, I understand the mask policy. I, I think, you know, Having to wear a mask on an airplane if you're on a three- or four-hour flight, I, I think that that could get really old. But I understand why we do it, and if I was on one of those flights, I, I would be willing to do it. Now, frankly, that's one of the reasons why I, I don't see myself getting on an airplane you know, anytime soon, coupled with the fact that you know, once you get to places, everything's going to be closed, all those different reasons. But I guess if I had somewhere to go and I wanted to get somewhere, I, I understand why the airlines are doing this. Jeff, a friend of mine flew home last week from Arizona, said the um, plane was 90% full. Jeff, my wife and I are scheduled to fly American Labor Day weekend, Madison to Dallas, and then to Pensacola. We are not going to fly. We can use a voucher until December of 2021. Yeah, that's the, um, you know, that's the, that's the whole idea. I mean, if you're uncomfortable with doing it, right, you, you know, you, you can postpone your trip, and I think that's appropriate as well. Jeff, American Airlines website now also says, as of June 30th, you must certify that you have not had any COVID-19 symptoms for 14 days. I am yet to hear from them how we are supposed to certify. Well, yeah, that's that, that, that's sort of a probably like a cover your butt type of thing that's um, 
out there. Um, Jeff, just got back from Portland, took Alaska Air out. They kept an empty seat, American on the way back, completely full, and asked for people to give up seats. I really had no choice, so I flew. They took all the precautions, but I still did not feel comfortable. See, that's the attitude that's out there, and it's something that you have to consider. Jeff, I would go... But I would complain and complain via email and hope to get a travel voucher. Well, that's, I, I don't know how that's going to work because they are announcing that this is their policy. And like I say, th- th- this is going to be where other airlines are because now that the travel is starting to rebound a little bit, flying with a plane that's half empty or two-thirds empty, I, I can't imagine they make money on, on that when you look at fuel costs and things of the like. So what you're going to be seeing is fewer flight opportunities. Lots of flights have been canceled. Lots of planes are grounded. And I think it is inevitable that if you're going to get on an airplane, you need to expect that you're going to be sitting in closer quarters again, which is why you know everybody needs to take the appropriate precautions. But for me, if I had to go, I'd, I'd, I'd go. And, you know, I guess I just would hope for the best. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Speaking of travel, one of the things we're we're trying to do, and and the longer this pandemic goes on, the more more information people are getting and the more we're – we're trying to, I think, figure out, you know, what we did early on that was right and what we did early on that might have been wrong or an overreaction or the wrong direction or whatever. And and one of the things that people are wondering is, all right, why do you have the outbreak being greater in some urban areas and the greater perhaps among you know some groups than, than others? For example, I mean, I, I think we all know right now that while nobody wants to get coronavirus, nobody wants to get COVID-19, the 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 thing that you have to spend your time really emphasizing is you've got to keep it away from vulnerable populations. You know, if you look at the overwhelming percentage of people, for example, who who died, what you see, as we've talked about before, it, it's people who are in their 60s or older. And if you're in your 60s, you have less of a chance of dying than if you're in your 70s. And if you're in your 70s, you have a less of a chance of dying if you're in your 80s. Then what you do is you couple other health problems in and the numbers start you know to dramatically increase somebody who's in their 80s who is a cancer survivor and has underlying health issues okay that that's the type of person that you really have to do everything you can to protect from getting coronavirus because if they get it they it could be fatal on the other hand one of the things that you're seeing about this ongoing spike that you keep hearing about is that by in large measure it's it's younger people, and that's why, as a general rule, you haven't seen a spike in the number of deaths. Now, that could change, but you haven't seen that yet, and you haven't seen a huge spike, as a general rule, in the number of hospitalizations. And I think the reason for that is that, that the, the new wave of people who are catching this are, again, younger people who are less susceptible to having bad outcomes. And again, no, nobody wants to get it. But I, I think that's what you see when you have the, the people in their you know teens and their 20s and their early 30s that are rushing to the beaches and the bars, and, and, and they're getting it, and they're spreading it. But the, the point is, as long as they don't spread it to the more vulnerable populations, you're not going to necessarily see a spike in hospitalizations or see a spike in deaths, even though we, we all understand that it would be a perfect world if people just you know didn't get together and you didn't spread this a, at all. 
One of the other things that they are finding as well is if you want to look at one of the areas where this spreads and the people who, who get it, a couple new studies out there tying it to mass transit. Um, for example, a couple of these studies that are out there are saying that if one of the areas where people tend to get this more than others is people who take public transportation. And if you think about it, I mean, think of a New York subway. You ever been on a New York subway? I mean, you're, you're crammed together in these close quarters and you're, you're getting up and you get off at your stop and then the person jumps into the seat where you are and everybody's kind of breathing the same air and all that type of stuff. It's just, I mean, it is a breeding ground for illness and it's a breeding ground for COVID-19. One of the numbers that they're looking at in a study that's written up about in the Wall Street Journal today is one of the things that they're finding is that, for example, you know, African-Americans um, tend to be, especially in these urban areas, more likely to take public transportation to work than white commuters. Kind of an interesting number. About 10.4% of black commuters take public transit versus 3.4% of white commuters, according to the census. After controlling for the use of public transit, this study finds that, well, that, that could be you know, why you see this racial disparity that, that's going on there. But the bottom line is, again, if, if you're on the subways, if you're riding the buses, you are more likely to be exposed to, again, coronavirus. So you need to be, you know, more careful. It's another one of these things that make you wonder what exactly is going to be the future of mass transit moving forward. Cause how do you protect people when they're in close quarters when they're riding the subway or they're riding the L train or they're riding the buses. How do you, how do you protect people? How do you sanitize the things? Cause let's face it, you can't sanitize the subway every time somebody gets off at a subway stop and somebody else gets on. How do you figure out how to live with this? It's a question. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Remember last week when, when we had the, the riots out in Madison where you had the, the mob that pulled down the statue and tried to set fire to the Capitol building and tried to burn the city county building and set cars on fire and all that? And the next day, the newspaper out there said, controversial arrest of activist. That was the phrase, controversial arrest of activist spurs, you know, unrest or or whatever. And, you know, it was very clear that th- this was the driving point. And some of the people who organized the riot, and that's what it was, they, they said, hey, this isn't going to be a peaceful protest. We're upset that, you know, so-and-so got arrested. Well, the, all right, the, the, if you haven't seen this, the guy that started this all by getting arrested He's now been the subject of a federal indictment that was returned on Friday. Here's the deal. Um, the guy's name is Devonier Johnson. He uses some other name for the, the protest stuff. He's now been indicted on extortion charges in federal court, or at least charged. Um, I presume he'll be indicted um, soon. All right. They allege that, according to the charges, he threatened to shut down and destroy businesses unless he and his friends were provided free food and 
drinks. In one restaurant, Johnson allegedly brought in a boom box, refused to turn it down. When the owner told Johnson he donated money to a group supporting the Black Lives Matter campaign, Johnson asked what he had done locally. Ultimately, Johnson told the owner, give me money or we'll break windows, according to the criminal complaint. He enters another bar, demands free food and drinks, or else he says the bar is going to be marked. You don't want 600 people to come here and destroy your business and burn it down. The cops are on our side, according to the complaint, which included owners with the bar owner. You'll notice when you call them, nothing happens to us. Apparently, according to the charges, this guy sought to extort the business owners by taking advantage of the protests following the death of George Floyd. Um, let's see. Um, he's been present. This is he uses the name Yeshiva Musa, Madison activist who's been present at every protest following Floyd's death. He was arrested outside a Capitol Square restaurant on Tuesday after he brought a baseball bat and a bullhorn into the tavern and shouted at several customers. So, I mean, here. This is we take a step back. This is the guy that inspired the riot last Tuesday, a guy who walks into a a restaurant with a bullhorn and a baseball bat and starts screaming at people and calling them racist. And then when he gets arrested, they put him in the back of a squad car. He tries to jump out and then people get upset because they wrestled him to the ground. Well, now you're starting to get the rest of the story. And it turns out that this guy and I think maybe some others associated with him have been using this as a cottage industry to go out and try to shake down business owners. Give us money, give us free food, give us free drinks, or else we're going to shut you down. We're going to use our power. We're going to use what's been going on here to, uh, again, try to pressure you into doing this. And and if you think that this is probably an isolated situation, I, I hope it is. Hope it is. But there's clearly people out there who are opportunists. And for everybody out there in Madison that decided that they were going to rally to the cause of Devonir Johnson, and this was why they were going to assault people in the streets, and this guy was the reason that they were going to try to burn down buildings, if you don't feel like a major league chump, you should, because you have, in fact, been played. There is always a spy space for legitimate, peaceful protest. But you also have to understand there are opportunists out there who are taking advantage of what is going on. And for the people who are trying to bring about legitimate change through peaceful protest, you got to watch out because there are those out there who will use you to enrich themselves. When we come back, all right, July 25th is coming. That could mean a change for many people. We'll discuss. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. That extra $600 that folks who have been unemployed um, since, since March have been getting courtesy of the federal government, that is scheduled to end July 25th. When we had an opportunity, when I had an opportunity to interview presidential advisor Kellyanne Conway last Thursday, that was one of the questions I asked her. I said, do you you think the administration is going to be signing on to continuing that $600 a week extra benefit? And I think her answer was essentially no, that it's probably not going to happen. Now, I bring this up because... 
the economy is starting to rebound, but still it, it is a slow rebound. And in some states, you've got this concern that maybe because of the new outbreaks of COVID-19, you know, businesses are going to have to shut down. Uh, breaking news that um, Marcus uh, Hotels, three Milwaukee hotels and a Madison hotel, 400 workers are going to be permanently laid off um, because of the, the pandemic. Th- those people, because of the Paycheck Protection Act and the fact that the federal government was helping pick up, was giving you know, uh, loans to businesses that would be forgivable if they used it to keep people employed. Um, Marcus is saying, well, okay, end of July, we're we're going to be doing away with 400 jobs. Uh, the hardest hit property, according to the Journal Sentinel, is the Hilton Milwaukee Center. Um, they plan to reopen the hotel on July 12th, but 211 employees, 200 hourly workers, and 11 managers will be losing their job. And that's essentially because hotels have been hit particularly hard. If you're a hotel that does business travel. Business travel is pretty much dropped to non-existent. If you're a hotel that relies in part on vacation travel, well, vacation travel hasn't been going on. So these jobs are, are just disappearing. This is also happening at the same time that $600 a week extra federal benefit is going to be expiring as of July 25th. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I know that extra $600 has been for many people an absolute godsend. I, I get it. The problem, though, is that, that first of all, there's lots and lots of people who have been working over the course of, of the last several months. And, you know, their, their paychecks are less than what folks have been getting that $600 a week plus unemployment. So a lot of people are saying, hey, how is it fair? I'm an essential worker. I'm working. Um, other folks have lost their job through no fault of their own, but they're making more than I make by not working. Secondly, and we have discussed this before, part of the problem with the unemployment benefits, that extra $600 is for many people, not all, maybe not even a majority, but for many people, by the time you add in the state unemployment and that extra $600 that you get, you find people that either make more money by not working or make close to as much money as they would if they went back to work. So there's a huge incentive not to go back to work, you know, when the employer calls. Now, I understand, theoretically, if you're called back to work, you refuse to go, the employer, if they report you to the state, you can, you know, lose your benefits moving forward. I I understand that, but that's a complicated process, and I think there's a lot of people who decide to take their chances. So you have that going on as well. In any event, that $600 is supposed to expire July 25th. There are some people who would like to extend it. I think for a variety of reasons, that would be a bad idea. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, what do you think? Is it time to perhaps reconsider where we've got another potential spike of coronavirus cases that are out there? COVID-19 isn't going to go away. In some areas, the recovery has been slower than we hope. Um, it, it's going to be a battle to try to get people back to work. So given the fact that we still have, I don't know, 12, 13% unemployment, whatever that might be, should we still continue to make the $600 a week payments? Should we give people those extra bonuses or 
Do we need to rethink our approach? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in just a moment. And, and by the way, if you're somebody who's been collecting that, that extra $600, I'd love to talk to you about what it's meant for you and how long you think it should go on. If you're somebody that's been working through all this, I mean, I don't know, how do you feel about other people who've been collecting that extra $600 for not working? And how long should it continue to go on? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In Wisconsin, unemployment benefits are, 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 are administered by the state. And, and typically, the maximum you can get for an unemployment benefit is, is 370 bucks. Now, not everybody gets 370 bucks. It, it's based on how much money you, you make. But the maximum is 370. Well, ever since March, what's happened is the federal government has supplemented unemployment compensation. So with an extra 600 bucks a week. So let, let's assume that you're making that maximum. I know not everybody does, but let's assume you're getting that 370. You, you have been getting not, or scheduled to get 970 bucks a, a week, which in several cases is more than people would make for working. That number, that extra 600 bucks is expected to expire, will expire at the end of July. I think July 25th is kind of like the cutoff date for that. So after that, People who have, in my example, been getting 970 bucks, they go back, they get 370 bucks. And like I say, a lot of people get less than that. Um, we, we still have extremely high unemployment. Uh, businesses are slow to rebound in, in some cases, and there, there's still a lot of layoffs. I was just talking about how Marcus announced they were going to get rid of like 400 employees or something like that in the hotel business. And it's not a fault of Marcus. I mean, I don't, I'm not ripping them. They're just responding to the economic conditions at, at the moment, and they're saying, okay, we're going to have to cut our workforce because we don't need as many. All right, so you've got lots of people that are still unemployed. Obviously, those folks have to make their rent payments, and they've got to make their mortgage payments, and they've got to put food on the table. Should we continue the $600 for those who are unemployed? Some people in Congress say that we we should run this through the end of the year. My answer would be no. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, essential workers who've had to work um, through this pandemic, they're the ones that should have been getting the $600 extra each week for risking catching this by going to work each day. Jeff, I can see this from both sides. In essence, um, I'm essential, and I have worked for the same normal wage since this began. My brother, however, lost his job due to COVID, and the extra 600 has been a lifesaver for him. Perhaps the next round of 600 should be lowered to maybe 200 to $300 extra to help just a little bit. Um, Jeff, I think it's baloney. I'm an essential worker for our school district's food service. The people picking up free school lunches for their children make more on unemployment than I make. Um, okay, Jeff, extend the $600 a week? No. My wife is working 12 to 15 hours a day and doesn't make as much as people who are on unemployment. There's plenty of work out there if people want to actually work for a living. Jeff, um, Uber drivers were lied to. We were supposed to be eligible for unemployment and the $600. I haven't received a dime. I'm struggling in life because it was my full-time job um, in the downtown area. 
Um, Jeff, why not allow the $600 to be paid only if people take a job that doesn't pay $1,000 a week after taxes and then have a sliding scale from there if you can find a job in its original non-federal back payment? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That's why some people, including some Republicans, have said maybe instead of continuing the 600 bucks, which essentially provides an incentive for people not to work in some respects, um, maybe what we should do is try to give people like a going back to work bonus, which would give them an added incentive to do that. I am more open to that than just continuing the $600 because it, it does. It, it's the same thing has happened a number of years ago when you know, back in 2007, 2008, 2009, we had the recession and just people couldn't find jobs. Well, what happened is they kept continuing unemployment comp and unemployment comp. And what you found is for at least a percentage of people, it, it wasn't until they exhausted their, their benefits that they decided that they wanted to go back to work. And then suddenly, you know, you're, you're out of benefits. Okay, then you go back to work. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Rain in Milwaukee. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, well, I was one of those individuals that you spoke of who was entitled to the maximum amount to receive for unemployment, and then I did get the extra 600 Okay. And uh, I did. You know, it was, I was one of those people. I was making more money than, uh, you know, I ever have. And uh, it was great. Um, but... I had uh, I had a couple of uh, instances, like you know, things that happened to me in my life that made me ended up like to stop taking it. Uh, one was my uncle, who served in the Marine Corps and uh, was eligible for disability. And I'm like, what are you working for? You know, why, why don't you just take that money? And uh, yeah, he, t- you know, he told me, and you know, it stuck with me. He's like, uh, you know, somebody else needs that. Um, you know, I can work. You know, I, you know, it's, it hurts. But you know it's wrong. So, so you were so uh, yeah, you were making close. You were making the, the full boat. So you were making more than close I've to, ever. Yeah, the, yeah. You, the, so you, yeah. you were pulling in close to a thousand bucks a week by the time you added that three seventy and the six hundred, close right. to a thousand yeah. bucks a week for being unemployed. Well. Uh-huh. Um. No. Th- th- thanks to call. No, I appreciate it. And look. And, and by the way. I, I mean, I'm not I'm not criticizing people who, who do that. I mean, I, I, I get it. I mean, if, if that benefit is out there and the, the taxpayers are going to offer it to you and the government's going to offer it to you, well, well, why wouldn't you take it? I mean, there's nothing, you know, it, it's sort of like, you know, people who complain, oh, this person took that tax break or whatever. I mean, if as, as long as you're doing it legitimately and as long as you're playing by the rules, that take it. I mean, I, I get it. But we did in our rush to try to... Give, provide benefits to people who had suddenly just lost their job through no fault of their own and concerns about, okay, how are they going to put food on the table and what is this going to do to the economy and how are you going to pay rents and utility bills and things like that? We, we, we went through with the 600 bucks. And I'll be honest, I, I didn't oppose it at the time. I understood that there were going to be some of these unintended consequences that you'd have people who were, again, now had a disincentive to try to go back to work. And so that's why I, I think we cannot continue this indefinitely. And I think, you know, you started it in March, March, April, May, June, July. Okay, now it's time. If we decided that there's still people who can't find jobs, okay, well, maybe there's some other assistance that we can do. But yeah, I'm also sympathetic to the folks who have been for their regular pay, essentially working through this entire thing. 
Let's talk to John in Muskego. John, you're on WTM. I'm sorry. Yeah, John in Muskego. John, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I work in the music industry on concert tours, and uh, with the $600 bonus, it's not making me whole, but it's definitely uh, helping out each sure. week. I'm still losing money. Um, but, you know, I don't see us having concerts anytime in the near future. We keep canceling every event that we have scheduled. Yep. So, and for me to try to find a job, uh, to try to make me whole to where I'm making now, um, and tell my employer that within nine months I'm going to take off and go back to my old job when we go back to normal, um, it's just not going to happen. Uh, you know, and the whole thing of getting $600 to everybody, you know, I thought that was a joke at first. I thought it was up to where he makes you whole. If you made $40,000 a year, well, then you get capped out at 40000 you make thirty five, you get capped at thirty five. But you're right. You know, if you're getting everyone fifty grand a year for sitting home doing nothing, everyone's going to take the free ride. Yeah, well, well, and, and I don't fault them. I mean, I, 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 I do that. If somebody says, "Hey, Jeff, we're gonna, we're gonna pay you a third more than you make to not work than to work," I, you know, I, I get that. So, John, tell me. I mean, looking, the, the six hundred bucks extra is is going to end. That's probably the reality. You're also right. I have no idea what the what the concert business is going to look like. But I mean, I as somebody who just a, attends concerts, I mean. All the big shows that I was planning to see have been canceled until next year, and and, and who knows what that's going to look like. So, what are you going to do? I'm, I'm legitimately curious. What what what's the plan? Is there a plan? Uh, the plan is talking with the wife. Is I'm going to have to change careers, yeah. find another job, and um, start, we'll start at the bottom again and work our way up. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what else to do. I mean, that's the only solution. I can't stand, I can't live on three hundred bucks a week. Right. So that's just the bottom line. So. Either I can sit there and cry the blues, or I can do something about it and change. Right, right, and then hopefully, you know, maybe maybe you're able to go back to that because I mean that that's a that is an industry. I mean, who knows what that's going to look like? I mean, I I you know I I watch like replays of concerts on TV, and I I think about you know Summerfest for example, where you know that was supposed to start last week, and you know all these people packed in on and everybody jumping up on the picnic tables and side by side and shoulder to shoulder. And I'm I'm wondering if I, I'm wondering when and what it's going to take to ever see that. And I I I mean I I don't know. I know we're all hoping for next year. I'm not sure that next year is going to be magic either. Hope I'm wrong, but I just I, I don't know what the future is going to look like in that industry that you're in. No, exactly. I feel the same way. I'm crossing my fingers, and hopefully, uh, some kind of miracle happens. Yeah. No. Th- th- thanks for calling. No. And, I, and again, I'm not. I wish. I, I wish I had an answer, but I, I do. I mean, there are. There's a lot of industries that have been hit, you know, really hard and just absolutely decimated. And, and that's that, that aspect of the entertainment industry that you're talking about is is it. If you if if you depend on I didn't ask him what he did, but if you depend on on live music and going out to these venues and you're the guy that does the sound or you're you're the musician or whatever, that that, that opportunity isn't there. And I don't know when it's going to be there in the future. And I again, I, I appreciate what John is saying about the. The sliding scale or something like that. I think, but quite candidly, I think at short term he he's right. You know, you it doesn't seem to me that the taxpayers can just can continue to subsidize you know subsidize people for an industry that at least for the time being is, is just decimated. Um, at the same time, the choice then becomes what do you do? And maybe that choice means you at least temporarily have to move to Plan B, which is maybe doing something else. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> 
just a couple texts to wrap up our conversation. Jeff, I just had this very discussion with someone trying to contact me to do some work for them. If I had taken the job, the result would have been a net loss of nearly $2,000 a month. Wow. You know, wow. Um, so why would you take the job? Jeff, and here's the other perspective. And by the way, I, I understand that not everybody on this program on, that's taken the, the extra 600 bucks is, is a malinger or anything like that. And, and like I say, I also understand that if the government's going to give you the dough, of course you're going to take it. Jeff, my husband is the main breadwinner in our family and carries the family insurance. He's been laid off since March and works in the air travel industry, so there's no end in sight. Once the $600 a week goes away, he'll barely bring in enough to cover our insurance. I've been working through the entire pandemic, but it's not enough to cover our expensive expenses. It sucks that some people are sitting at home earning more than I am, but others really do need it. I don't know what the answer is. Our savings are only going to last so long, so I don't know what we're going to do, um, which is why, you know, early on, I, I supported the $600 a week, understanding that it was going to result in this weird thing where some people would make more for not working than they do for working. But I think it was important to get money into people's hands. The, the bottom line is if you work in an industry that's just being crippled by this and you don't have the rainy day fund and the savings to kind of wait it out, you, you probably, just like our caller John, need to say, okay, what what is the plan B going to be? Because I, can, I, I, I don't think the government can subsidize this for an unlimited period of time. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. That's right. Fourth of July is coming up. It's Saturday. I actually found a place that has some fireworks, and so I'm going to go. Got to go with the family and watch watch fireworks. We will be practicing the appropriate social distancing and the things like that. But it's just. It's just flat out not the 4th of July. One final note on what we were just talking about with jobs. Here's a text, Jeff. We employ about 300 associates through our locations. We cannot find candidates to fill our 30 open positions. It is very difficult to hire right now. And that's, I mean, I think that's one of the things that's out there, that there is this disconnect. There are jobs. Now, the problem is, and I, I'm sympathetic to, for example, a guy who called up and who works in the concert industry. That That's his business. He doesn't want to get out of the concert industry. But, I mean, right now, who knows what that future is going to look like. So as time goes on, given the uncertainty that's going to be facing some businesses, it may very well be that people are going to have to reconsider at least short term, you know, what what it is that they're going to do. And you, you might have to take a job, even though it's not necessarily your, your preference of a job. But I am hearing from other employers who say, hey, we, we, we've got jobs and, and we can't find people who, who are willing to come in or going to work at, at those jobs. And part of the reason is, especially for a lot of the, the entry-level jobs and stuff, my guess is that they don't pay. If you can pull in almost $1,000 a week, you're, you're not going to come close to making that if you're actually working. So time will tell. All right. There is no secret that right now the numbers do not look good for President Trump. Now, I understand that there's some people who, who don't believe polls, and I understand that. I also understand that the, the polls, you know, have been wrong before. But at the same time, if you look at, at the numbers that are out there, 
you know, in all the different key states that, that President Trump needs to win to get reelected, you know, they, they, they do not look good. And I'm not talking about the national polling that shows him behind Biden by 10 or 12 or 13 points. I mean, I'm talking about the state by state polling. And for example, in Wisconsin, one of the things I always look at is I, I, I look at let, let's take the same poll and let's see the trends. And what you've seen is over the course of the last several months, Biden has started to maintain, you know, extended elite, created an extended elite. The other interesting thing that you see kind of out of the polls that are there are is that voters aren't excited about Joe Biden. They, they really some people might. But in general, a lot of people aren't excited about Joe Biden. But what it is, is they're going to vote for Biden because they don't like Trump. So that, that that's it. It's not so much it's a vote for Joe Biden. It's a vote against Donald Trump. By the way, that's one of the things that I, I think contributed to President Trump's victory in 2016 over Hillary Clinton. I, I don't know that there were there were some people that were excited about the Trump campaign and he's the reality TV star and he's the business guy. But I mean, I think there were a lot of people out there who just flat out did not like Hillary Clinton. So Trump was the unknown. We don't like Hillary Clinton. We don't know what Trump is going to do. We're going to vote not so much in favor of Donald Trump, but we're going to vote against Hillary. And, and I think there there was a segment of the vote. That dynamic has completely shifted now. So you have President Trump, who is the known quantity, and you have a number of, of people, about 30, 35 percent of the electorate, who just absolutely love it, just absolutely love him, will run through brick walls to vote for him. And then you have a lot of people on the other side who just absolutely don't like him. In some respects, he's among certain voters, he's become the Hillary Clinton of 2016. They just don't like him, and so they're going to vote against him. So the poll numbers haven't been good. He's been subject to, quite candidly, you know, relentlessly negative media um, coverage for the last four years, and some of it is self-inflicted, at least in my opinion. But one of the things, at least I think you're starting to see, is that unlike some other presidents, Ronald Reagan comes to mind, who was perhaps narrowly elected in 1980, but over the course of the last of that next four years, broadly expanded his base to the point that, you know, when he ran for reelection, he carried every state, I think, but but Minnesota, which was the home state of the guy that ran against him, Walter Mondale. I, I don't get the sense that President Trump has expanded his base. If anything, he's maybe constricted it to the extent that people who voted for him because they didn't like Hillary Clinton, well, they, they've decided they, they don't like him. So anyhow, polls don't look good. I understand you can dismiss polls, but it, it is what it is. You've got the relentless negative media coverage, and you have more and more reports out there from people close to the Trump campaign that are starting to say that, that the president's starting to realize and is very frustrated and upset that the, that the re-election campaign might be in trouble. Which brings me to a report on Fox News. All right, let me read you All right, what, what they say. A stretch of lackluster polling for President Trump has some Republican operatives nervous about the president's re-election prospects in November. Right, no surprise there. Here's the key thing. With some even floating the possibility for the first time that Trump could drop out if his poll numbers don't rebound. It's too early, 
but if the polls continue to worsen, you can easily see a scenario where he drops out, says one GOP operative who asked to remain anonymous. No kidding on that one. I've heard the talk. My bet is he drops if he believes there's no way to win. All right, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Do you think there is any way in the world that President Trump would decide, I've had enough, I'm not going to run for re-election, I'm going to pull my name from the ballot? Is, is there any any possibility that that could happen? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, my answer to that would be, you know, if President Trump did not pull out four years ago after the, the Access Hollywood tape and all that stuff where pretty much everybody and, you know, their, their brother was saying, okay, the Trump campaign is dead in the water, there's no way he wins. If Donald Trump did not pull out after that, there's no way that bad poll numbers make him pull out in 2020. Am I right or wrong? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Can you see, envision any scenario at all in which Donald Trump simply decides, I'm going to declare victory and go home? Just essentially takes the position, you know what? I've accomplished a lot. There's nothing more for me to be gained. I've decided I'm just going to, you know, go back to Mar-a-Lago and I'm going to play golf and I'm going to enjoy my family or whatever. Is there any scenario in the world that you could imagine Donald Trump not going through with the election? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm not seeing it, but apparently some people in Washington are. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Jeff, I have many conservative friends who did not vote for Trump in 2016, and after seeing his policies over the last three and a half years, will most definitely vote for him in 2020. What the left uh, stands for is ludicrous, and every reasonable person understands this. Polls were garbage then and are garbage now. Well, you know, we talked about about a week ago, I did a topic. I, I do think... There are there are a lot of closet Trump supporters out there who, who don't talk about it publicly because they they just don't want to get the grief that they get. So I understand there's a sense of that out there. But at the same time, I think to just completely and totally dismiss polls is is wrong. Um, <laughs> it just I think it is. Um, Jeff, I, I think the idea and we're talking about the speculation that President Trump, if he decides he's not going to win, w- is it possible he would just drop out? Now, I don't see that happening. Jeff, absolutely not. Wow, absolutely not. But again, who knows with President Trump? Um, Jeff, I think it's absolutely positively I could see him pulling out of the race to save face, a scenario he did often in his businesses when they weren't going well. He thrives on success and click quickly buries failure. I truly believe in 2016 the insiders gave him confidence that he had a path to victory despite general thought to the contrary. If this time he believes he has no chance, I think he will quit. Jeff, I read that last night, too. I wouldn't blame him a bit if he wanted to quit, but as you said, he stuck it out this long. I would be highly doubtful of him quitting now. 
Jeff, I hadn't even considered that he'd quit, but now that you mention it, I guess it seems possible. He strikes me as the type of person who would knock the board over once he saw that defeat was coming. Um, Nate from Beloit makes the point. He says, well, the president has stated recently that the election is going to be rigged no matter what if bad polls continue. And, and by the way, it's not just... It's not just the public polls, but if you're a candidate, you're, you're getting information from all these these different sources. So he has access to information that that you know not the rest of us just don't have. But anyways, Nate says if bad polls continue, he I could see that he will just drop out, say that it was rigged and there was no way for him to win. Now I I don't think that that's a likelihood, and I'm not out here you know promoting some conspiracy theory, but it is it is kind of intriguing, and, and I do wonder. The, the theory, and again, I said earlier that if you didn't drop out in 2016 a- after the Access Hollywood tapes, why would you drop out now? But there is a different dynamic. If you've got people around you saying, no, look, there is there is a path to victory, and we have this information or that information, and, and we think you're going to play better here or there or wherever, you, you could see a, a possibility of just, you you know, you could you could perhaps see that if that's not true in 2020 like it was in 2016, Maybe you move to Plan B. Gianni in Montello, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Interesting, interesting uh, question. Um, I can see the scenario of, of Trump dropping out uh, should the polls go go um, not in his favor. And I think you have to consider that Joe Biden is not some left wing wacko. Um, he has, you know, he's been the vice president, mm-hmm. and um, as much as the right tries to. Uh, uh, criticize him for for his uh, speech and his uh, I think he has a stutter on that. But I think if Trump were to um, drop out, it would have to be a feigned illness or or some Mm -hmm. issue like that, because he he has to save face. Um, But again, I I, um, I, I think the 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 protests aren't helping Biden. I I think, um, you know, the the idea the tearing down of the statues and the burning of businesses, that scares a lot of people, not in my neck of the woods. It doesn't happen here. But uh, I I think that's that that might bump, give him a bump in the polls, Jeff. Well, Um, Johnny, no, thanks. No, I think I mean, I guess I I mean, that was okay. in in 1968, you had Richard Nixon. You, You 1968, I think if you want to try to find a year that kind of parallels 2020 so far, you, you do have to go back to 1968. And in 1968, you had the country in turmoil. If you weren't around then, trust me, um, you had, you know, the, the Vietnam War w- was raging. You had Lyndon Johnson, who was elected with a huge electoral landslide in 64, who ha- had lost the support of, of his party. Um, and, and you had young people, you had civil rights issues that were going on. Dr. King was, was assassinated in 1968. You had Robert Kennedy that was assassinated. You, you had all this turmoil and this unrest. Lyndon Johnson decided that he wasn't going to run for reelection because I think he came to the conclusion that he couldn't win. And, and then you had Richard Nixon that swooped in on a law and order kind of platform. Now that the difference between 68 and now is that Richard Nixon was the outsider. He was running saying, hey, you, you elect me and I'm going to change all this. Um, President Trump is the incumbent. So he really I don't, I don't know that he, you can play that that same card. But I, I do think depending on where we go for the rest of the summer, I mean, I think law and order can be an issue. I think one of the other big dynamics that's out there is 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 what happens with Joe Biden. I mean, and right now. 
Biden has essentially been non-existent on, on the campaign trail for, for whatever reason. And, and I think that the Biden people feel we don't need to do it. I mean, it's, you know, all we can do is we can keep him in his, you know, basement in Delaware and we, we can control this and we, we don't need to mount a campaign against Donald Trump. You know, we, we don't have to do that because, you know, we've got the media that's doing its job and Donald Trump is, you know, having, you know, one controversy after another. So we just keep Biden under wraps and, and he'll, he'll just get the default vote. The, the, the anti-Trump sort of vote, and that'll carry us over. I, I think that's the strategy that's out there. Now, th- there are going to be presidential debates, and my guess is one of the things that President Trump probably believes, and I'm, I'm, I'm not taking any position on this. Once we get closer to this all, I'll, I'll, I'll try to analyze it more. But I'm sure one of the things that, that President Trump believes is that if he gets on a stage with Joe Biden, he's just going to eat his lunch. I, I have no doubt about it. And, you know, the, the, the Trump strategy will be aggressive and I would imagine aggressive and in your face. And let's try to convince people that Joe Biden, for whatever reasons, just is no longer up to the job. Now, I'm not saying he's going to succeed or not, but I, I'm sure that that's one of the fallback strategies that, that is out there. And that's another reason why I just I I got sucked into this a couple four years ago. I remember I kind of got sucked into the thing after the Access Hollywood stuff and all the the idea that you know do you just decide that this is not worth it? I can I not win? Part of the thing going on though is I think President Trump's ego. And and by the way, if you want to be the leader of the free world, you you need an ego. And anybody who runs for the president to be president of the United States has has an ego some people perhaps keep it under check better in under check better than others but you have to you have to have this incredible ego to think that hey I, I can be the leader of the free world and that people should choose me to be it President Trump doesn't keep his ego under as you know under control as much as perhaps some of his predecessors but everybody had this this huge ego you you just absolutely have to um, I guess I I look at this and say you know, would, would President Trump ever get into a situation where he decided that he he just needed to find some some way out? The, the election's rigged or whatever if he decided he can't win. But I guess just from a timing perspective, I got to believe, like I say, President Trump thinks at the end of the day, when, when he goes, you know, one-on-one with Joe Biden, he's just going to destroy him and he's going to demonstrate why he's so much more fit in office than Biden is. So I, I just, I can't see him quitting before like the debates and it, after that point it's too late now i'm I, I appreciate that republicans might be talking about this i i'm just i, I would say it is 99.9999999 percent clear that unless something just cataclysmic happens between now and november president trump is going to be on the ballot we'll let the chips fall where they may this is jeff wagner wtmj Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, so Rusty, as I get older, my, my ability to multitask kind of de- decreases. So during, during your newscast, I was, of course, paying rapt attention to your newscast. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at the stuff that I wanted to talk about during the two o'clock hour and kind of like reshuffling some things and something caught my attention on our TV monitors. And I was trying to put out a text, all at, you know, Uh a tweet all at the same time. So I'm kind of doing all that. And then I go back and I, I look at the tweet and, huh, couple typographical errors. Nothing, nothing major, but it was like, you know, 
that's I, I'm going to redo that. So I should just concentrate on just a couple things. So you could also blame autocorrect. Yeah, it wasn't autocorrect. Uh, you know, it, right. it was it was like fat fingers. Okay, but let me ask you. Speaking of the tweet, um, do do you know the name uh, Jeremy Ryan? Does that it's it's before your time really? Does that name mean anything to you, Jeremy Ryan? Not off the top of my head, but I oh, think I've heard it before. Okay, uh, Gru, producing the show today and always, you just shrug your shoulders. No, you don't. If I said Segway Boy, would that change? If I said Segway Boy, would that change anything for you? Did he invent the Segway? No, he did not. Segway Boy means nothing to you either, Rusty. Not entirely. Oh, okay, no, I'm, I'm not. All right. <sighs> you guys have both just made me feel old. <laughs> all right, but... But if you have been around and following things in Wisconsin for the last 10 years, you know exactly, precisely what I mean. At the Segway Boy, Jeremy Ryan was one of the faces of the Act 10 protests about a decade ago. If you will remember, let me take you back to Scott Walker becomes the governor. He introduces Act 10. There are major protests in in the Capitol, and you have union activists that are coming in from all over the country, and it leads to the Walker recall. One of the faces, one of the most vocal protesters, was Jeremy Ryan, who rode around the Capitol on a Segway. And he was militant. Many people would say completely and totally over the top, but his 15 minutes of fame was as, as seg- that's what we refer to him, Segway Boy Jeremy Ryan, right? Well, things have not worked out well for Segway Boy Jeremy Ryan over the last decade. Matter of fact, if you want an update on, on the, the latest developments, and you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. We've got a picture of, of Jeremy Ryan currently. Um, and my note is, doesn't seem like life has worked out too well for him since his 15 minutes of fame a decade ago. Who, who would have, who would have guessed? And if you're, if you're wondering, see, Jeremy Ryan at one point in time, well, I want to, I want to get this straight. He was, um, he was arrested. Let me see. He was arrested a couple years ago for, um, Mail ordering radioactive material from an undercover FBI agent. Now, I remember that story, so that's where I remember him right, from. Right, right. Prosecutors alleged he had planned to use it to kill someone. He said he intended to use <laughs> use it to commit suicide. All right. After spending 16 months in the Dane County Jail waiting for trial, he was placed on supervised release. Okay. Well, he, he's back in the news. He's just been charged with stalking and threatening the Dane County Sheriff and making terrorist threats to him. Apparently, he threatened, allegedly, threatened to release personal information on the sheriff and his family unless an inmate in the Dane County Jail was moved from segregation by 6 p.m. Wednesday, according to the criminal complaint filed in Dane County Circuit Court. He also called on hundreds of protesters to harass Mahoney's family. That's the sheriff. So um, he's now charged with felony counts of stalking and making terrorist threats and misdemeanor counts of consumer I'm sorry, computer message threats and telephone harassment. So bottom line of this is if you wonder where one of the faces of the Act 10 protest is 10 years later, well, life isn't working out too well for him. And like I say, who could have possibly guessed? And if you want a link to the story, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Yes, Segway Boy back in the news. You After... After trying to buy the 
<laughs> the radioactive material from the FBI agent, maybe you would have figured out that, okay, it's just kind of time to, to lay low. But that message hasn't come through. But if you want to see the latest on Segway Boy Jeremy Ryan, oh, by the way, things are really bad because not only grew, he did not, no, he did not invent the Segway, but did you see they're not making the Segways anymore? That was the latest thing that they announced that the, 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 the it, it never really took off. That was supposed to be, I, you know, and that, that was supposed to be the thing at the time, but just never really took off at all. So in any event, if you want to see the latest update on Jeremy Ryan, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. All right. You may disagree with me on this one. And, and, and hear, hear me out. We, we have talked about this before. I, um, there is a push now. Um, I think it's gained steam because of concerns about coronavirus. But there is a push now to go completely and totally cashless. Now, again, hear me out. I carry cash. Okay, I don't necessarily carry a lot of cash, but I always have some cash with me. And I tend to use it for small purchases. For example, if I'm playing golf, play golf on Sundays, and um, I play at a public golf course, and at, at the turn, if I decide I want a Coke or I want a hot dog or I want a beer or whatever, and the, the whole the tab comes to like five bucks, I, I don't like to put five dollar charges on on my credit card. I just you know I, I'll, I'll pull out, I'll I'll give the I'll give the guy at the the turn, I'll give him five bucks and a two dollar tip or whatever. So I, I like to do it with cash. That's just how I operate. If I'm going to make small purchases, I would prefer to do it with cash. It's not that I don't have credit cards. I have credit cards. I use credit cards. I find them to be a, a convenience. But at the same time, I, I also have cash for for the small stuff. All right. I am finding more and more places where I cannot use cash. For example, the public golf course that I play golf at on Sundays, they will not take cash. They, they won't take cash if you want to, I don't know, I think with a card it costs me like 40-some bucks, 42 bucks or whatever it is. Normally, I would give them $42. I can't do that. It has to be credit cards because they don't want the employees handling cash. If I stop between the ninth and the tenth holes, and I want to buy the hot dog and the, and the Coke, and it's $6, I, I cannot pay cash. They will not take cash. You have to use credit cards, which I find to be, I find to be a nuisance. Um, so you, you've got all that, but, but they're saying it's because of, you know, it's because of, you know, coronavirus and, and those various concerns. There's also reasons why retailers might want to go cashless, including not just coronavirus concerns, but including the fact that they, um, in some cases, if you don't have cash, you can conduct the transactions more quickly. You know, you're not making change. It's just somebody pulls out their credit card. You push the button, boom, you're gone there. In some areas, um, if you do a business that takes cash, you are more, you're perhaps more likely to be robbed or something like that. If you don't have cash, it's not a problem. So you've got all those things that are going on. All right, more and more businesses are now going cash. Fiserv Forum, you know, you go to you go to Fiserv, you know, back when you could go from Bucks or Marquette Games, and there would be concession stands that flat didn't take cash. Not not all of them, but you had to have a credit card to be able to if you wanted to buy, you know, what whatever was at certain of these concession stands, and if you didn't. 
you were just out of luck because if you didn't have that credit card, you, you couldn't buy it. They did not flat out take cash. I believe that it, like I say, I think it is a nuisance to not take cash. I like to pay cash for things and I like to have the choice. But a lot of businesses aren't doing this. Big story in the LA Times today. As coronavirus surges, more stores are going cashless. And then it says the price tag is racism. In other words, and the argument is because members of certain minority groups might be less likely to have credit cards than, I don't know, middle-aged white guys, what you're doing is you are discriminating against those people that do not have credit cards. And if there's a disproportionate amount of people in a certain minority group that don't have the credit cards, you are effectively preventing them from doing business with you. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should businesses have the option of being cashless? Uh, or, or you know, the for example, you know, the county golf course that I play at at Sundays, they, they won't take cash in the era of coronavirus. Is that discriminatory? Should they be forced to take cash? Or is that a reasonable choice for merchants, either because of what it costs um, or whatever? Should, should businesses have the option to be cashless? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My my answer, and again, you can feel free to disagree, but even as somebody who likes to pay cash, I think businesses should have that choice. And if it's because of COVID-19 or because of any of these other reasons we just mentioned, I think businesses should have the right to say we don't want to take cash. What do you think? 855-616-1620 might be a dumb decision, might be a decision that ends up costing them some money because businesses have to pay a, a, a fee to the credit card companies every time they do it. Um, but I think businesses should have the right to do it. Do you disagree? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, I agree with you. I'm an avid cash user and prefer it over cards. However, even though I don't like the um, requirement or the push to use credit cards, I'm all for businesses making decisions for themselves. Of course, I have the right to shop at places that will take my cash. God bless America. Well, that right. That's that's the thing. Jeff, a business absolutely has the right to be cash-free. People will find any excuse to cry discrimination for things these days. Um, Jeff, um, as a business owner, we do not have to take a credit card for any purchases under $10. As they pay more in fees, the consumer will be paying that because you will see prices going up. Those fees just got passed on. Yeah, I mean, again, I so I, I go to buy the hot dog and, and the beer or the Coke at the turn at, when I'm playing golf, and, and the tab is $5, whatever, you're you're paying a fee for me to use that, plus it's the inconvenience. I've just read, let me reach into my pocket, let me give you seven bucks, it actually makes it easier for me to leave an extra dollar or something for the kid that's putting the stuff out there as opposed to to have to say, okay, well here, why don't we put a $2 tip on there or whatever. I just think businesses should have the right to make that decision, though, if they want to go that route. Um, Let's start with Rick in Antioch. Hi, Rick, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I enjoy your show. Thank you. I'm not a lawyer or even a recovering lawyer, 
But what does it mean when it says on the note, on the on the dollar bill, it says this note is legal tender for all debts, public and private? Does that not mean that they are required to accept that? Now, before you answer, let me say in the big picture, I, I agree with you. Businesses should have the right to make their own decisions. But what does that mean when it says that on the dollar bill? Well, I think, I mean, thanks for calling. It, it means that the, the dollar, uh, this is my interpretation, it means the dollar bill, you know, can be accepted for those debts, but it doesn't mean, at least as far as, I, as a matter of fact, I'm pretty confident about this, it doesn't mean, thanks for the call, that the business has to accept it. For example, I'll give you another example. How often have you gone, have you gone into businesses and the businesses say, we don't accept bills larger than twenty dollars. All right. Well, the the hundred dollar bill, and, and and why? Well, you understand. I mean, they don't want they they don't want to have to make change for people coming in with hundred dollar bills. They don't want to, you know, um, they're, they're afraid that the hundred dollar bills get counterfeited. They get taken advantage of. Whatever the decision, but you see that a lot. You know, we no bills accepted greater than twenties. Well, it's it's the same sort of principle. Businesses. Yes, is the bill, is it legal tender for debts? Yes, yes, it is. But it doesn't mean that the businesses have to accept that. And, and again, I'm, I'm not the one, just to your point too, I'm not the one that's arguing, you know, the, the merits of the decision one way or the other. But I think businesses should have a right to do it if they feel it's appropriate. And this is gaining steam because of, of the coronavirus world that, you know, you have people who they, they don't, now, look, I, I'm I'm not a doctor, and I don't play one on the radio, and so I mean, I I don't know how likely it is that somebody could, you know, who had COVID nineteen could handle the bill and then transmit it to somebody else, and that person automatic then w- would get it. I, I don't know, but in any event, it it's it is a concern that's out there. You know, you don't want the people, you know, handling the quote unquote dirty money. So what they do is you use the credit card and you put your credit card in the machine, so you're you know you're not handing something per se to the person behind the counter. I think businesses should have a right to do it. Um, Maria in Franklin, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey there, Jeff. We have kind of an opposite situation here in Franklin. We have a local pizza place that only takes cash. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, of course, they have the ATM there. Um, And as far as I know, they are not getting robbed right and left um, because everybody knows they only take cash. Um, and they do amazing business. Mm-hmm. So, you know, am I supposed to start fussing now because they don't take credit cards and they should? And, mm. you know, everybody seems to be pretty happy with the fact sure. that they only take cash and we figure out a way to make that work. So sure. I think. And, and why do you think. Get that choice. Right. Why, and why, why would you think it is that they only take cash? Oh, I'm sure it's because of the fees on the yeah. credit cards, and they keep the prices Absol- of the pizzas reasonable. Yeah, you know? right, absolutely. And, it, and it's a business choice that they make, understanding exactly. that there might be some people out there that they might, I'm, I'm sure they probably do lose a certain percentage of their customers, yep. people who don't carry cash yep. or whatever, but it's a business decision that they make. And I, I'm with you. They should have the right to do right. that. Um, just and like they were open throughout the entire shutdown, and they, were, you know, people were handing them cash across yeah. the counter, and um, you know, I don't know, it, it all seemed to work out. So. Right, no, right. Th- no, thanks for the call. I mean, again, I, I just think to me, this is a choice that businesses get to make. You know, one one way or the other. Jeff, at my business, I just take cash, no credit or debit cards. There are a lot of people that get mad at me for not taking credit, but most, uh, many of my sales are two dollars or less. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're doing these small sales, 
it, it's it doesn't make sense to do that. So again, I'm not I am not arguing for the wisdom of going credit card only. I am just saying that if for whatever reason where I play golf, county cor- golf course, if they've decided whether it's for the safety of the general public or the safety of their employees that they want to require me to have a credit card, I think they have every right to do it. And if it means that I I can't if I don't have a credit card, then I can't play golf there. Well, okay, there, there's someplace else. Or I can't buy a hot dog there. there. There'll be other places that I, I can do that. I guess that's my answer. And as far as the, the racism argument, no, I mean, it's it's a business decision that businesses make. It's not because if, if you're requiring cash only at Pfizer Forum, it's not because it's the provider or whoever's selling the whatever it is. It, it's not because they're racist or they're trying to discourage business. It's because they, they've just decided that by making it credit card only, we get people through faster or, or whatever that is so we can sell more so we make money. It's a business decision. You don't need to view everything through a racial prism. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One of the themes of today's show can be reduced to three words. Are they nuts? It's kind of like my producer grew. I mean, sometimes I think, pal, that the whole world's gone crazy except you and me. And every once in a while, I kind of wonder about you in there. But it, it's you, you see these things that happen. And, and you really ask the question, are are they nuts? I mean, are, are, are they nuts? And I, I've been following with interest what the mayor allowed to happen in Seattle a couple weeks ago, which, which candidly, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that they didn't allow this to happen in Madison the other night, too, where when you have the rioters, essentially the police were told, don't engage unless you are attacked don't engage. Let them burn down buildings. Let them, you know, commit all these different crimes. Just do not in- engage. And and why we think that that is, is going to work. And, of course, you had this play out in Seattle as well. You probably heard about what they call CHOP, you know, the, the Capitol Hill Organized Protest. That, that's the official name of it. What happened is you had a bunch of anarchists who decided that they were going to occupy a nine-block area of, of downtown Seattle. And they were going to, the the police, in what is a moment that will live in infamy, the police, rather than engaging with the rioters and the anarchists, they bail out on on their precinct station. They, like, walk away from the district building. They, they, They leave. And they turn this area over to these protesters who then set up barricades and have now been occupying this for, oh, no, the better part of the last three weeks. You have a number of business. Can you imagine being a business in this particular area? You have a number of businesses that are now looking at filing lawsuits against the, the city for not providing the the protection that they're entitled to. I mean, you're a business owner, you're paying property taxes, and now the city has essentially abandoned this area to the the anarchists, the protesters, or whatever. Well, what's happened, surprise follows surprise, is that you've had, this has been a magnet for, uh, again, protesters, anarchists, criminals, homeless people, everybody's now just flocking to this, and it's become sort of like Lord of the Flies. If you want to understand what's going on in there, go watch the movie Escape from New York, and it's kind of like that. So now what they're trying to, what they're finding, and again, no surprise, is they're starting to have 
Gee, assaults and shootings and murders. Gee, who could have guessed that, Ms. Mayor, that if you take the police out of a huge urban section of your town, that you're going to have lawlessness that ends up moving in? Who? What a surprise. You know, and, and the idea that you thought this was a good idea gets me back to my three-word question from today. Are, are you nuts? I mean, who, who does something like this? So anyhow, they, they've recognized that this social experiment is a disaster, and you have to bring it to an end. The problem, though, is once you allow this element to get entrenched in the area, I mean, it, it's tougher to root them out. I mean, it, if you if you stop them from taking over nine city blocks like you should have done in the first place, it, it's easier I mean, you, you're going to have a confrontation, but it's easier to stop them than, than once they get entrenched. And what's happened is apparently you, you have a lot of the organizers who have moved into the, the police headquarters that the police abandoned. The police abandoned. So the police abandoned their headquarters. Now you have the, the protesters that have moved in and they, they don't want to go. So now what's going to happen is you're going to have to presumably go in and forcibly remove them. Um, on, on Friday, the Seattle mayor, her name is Jenny Durkin, she apparently met with organizers after they blocked city workers from removing some of the barricades. Right, so the, the, they've got barricades blocking off the city streets. The workers go to remove the barricades, and the anarchists slash protesters, they stop the city workers from removing the barricades. At, at which point in time, you, you want to say, who's running things here? Who, who elected the protesters slash anarchists to be able to get to control and say, well, we're going to put these barricades up or we're not going to put these barricades up? Um, the police chief, who has been useless, she says, well, we, we think some reopening of of the you know area is in the works. Um, you know, we we need to be able to respond to the area when there's shootings and violence. Well, well no kidding. You, you should be in there. But again, I, I look at this as this social experiment that's out there. You allow the protesters to take over, and then you have just a complete and total mess on your hands. And now you're looking at a dramatic escalation if you're going to go in and, and move them in. But out, but the message, and maybe this needs to go out to people like the the governor of the state of Wisconsin and the mayor of Madison, is that you know when you get the anarchists that decide they want to take over buildings, rather than just having the police step down, maybe what you want to do is you want to go out aggressively, tell them they're not going to be able to do that, and if they don't disperse like they're ordered to, well, then then what you do is you start doing, what's that thing? Oh, yes, arresting people. Is that too much to ask? It's a complete and total mess out in Seattle, and still you've got the mayor and the police chief who are unwilling to send in authorities to take back the streets because they're afraid they're going to escalate things. Well, you've got anarchists that are occupying nine city blocks. How could it get worse? He asks rhetorically. This is Jeff Wagner.